I ask you to join me if you have a copy of the scriptures or access to a copy of the scriptures. If you join me in the Old Testament, the Old Testament book of Ezra, if you're flipping through your Bible and you can find 1 Samuel, it goes Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, and then Ezra. Ezra chapter 7, we're continuing our series in this book that tells us the story of how God's people return and rebuild their home with God. And we are finding that it has much to teach us about how we find the home that we so desperately need. The home that we so desperately long for in God and in what he has done for us through his son Jesus. And so we come now this morning to Ezra chapter 7. And I'm going to read a couple of different sections uh, of this chapter for us. And so Ezra chapter 7 beginning in verse 1. Now after this in the reign of Artaxerxes king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahatuv, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Mariot, son of Zarahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra, not that other one, this Ezra <laughs> went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And then we're given a letter that the king Artaxerxes writes, authorizing Ezra to do this work. And I want to read just the end part of this and the end of chapter 7. And so I'm going now to Ezra 7, verse 25. And this is Artaxerxes' writing. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, but we admit often as we come to passages like these with so many difficult names to, pr to, to pronounce, we, we wonder what your word has to say to us. Uh, we wonder if this word is more than just a record of what happened so long ago. 
But we want to come this morning trusting that you are speaking to us. That you do have an important message for us through these words. This is not just an ancient historical record. This is your living voice. Would you help us to hear it? Would you open our minds and our hearts, our eyes and our ears to receive the message that you have for us this morning with humility and with faith and to be changed by it? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't need no education. We don't need no mind control. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. Hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. Those are the words of who? Pink Floyd from 1979, and, and this is the time of year when uh, maybe some people in this room are resonating with those words. Uh, maybe the students in the room resonate with those words, but my guess is the teachers resonate with those words as well. The teachers are ready to leave them kids alone about this time of year. But those words also express a deep human problem. And that problem is this. On the one hand, the world is far too big and our lives are far too complex for us to figure it out on our own. And so we need someone who knows more than we do to help us understand this world, to help us understand how to live in it. But on the other hand, we share the deep suspicion of that song. We live with a skepticism, sometimes born of abuse, sometimes born of harm. We live with a skepticism and, and even a despair that we would ever be able to find that kind of person. We live with a skepticism about whether we would ever be able to find someone who would not only give us accurate information, but deep guidance for how to live well. And so this morning, I, don't, I want to bring that problem, that problem with teachers. I want to bring it to the text that is in front of us. Because here in Ezra chapter 7, we finally meet the man whose name is on this book. We finally meet Ezra. And what do we find out about him? What is he? He's a scribe who is skilled in studying and in teaching. Ezra was a teacher. And he was sent by the most powerful man in the world to Jerusalem in order to carry out that vocation of teaching, of providing guidance. And so this morning, I, I want us to come with our skepticism. I want us to come with our suspicion. And I want us to meet the teacher. And as we do that, I want to ask two questions. First, why do we need a teacher? And then secondly, how do we find one? So first of all, why do we need a teacher? Well, think about where we are in the book of Ezra. This book began with a group of people 
sent by a Persian emperor from Babylon to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. And then what happened at the end of chapter six that we saw last week? Well, they finished the task, right? They completed the structure of the temple. But now in Ezra chapter seven, some 60 years later, it all seems to happen again. A group of people are sent by a Persian emperor from Babylon to Jerusalem with resources for the temple. Why? Why does this happen again? Why this repetition? Well, in the similarities between these events, we also need to see a significantly different emphasis. There is a difference in this second journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. And that difference is that Ezra, as he leads the people to Jerusalem, he not only carries with him and with those who are with him, they not only carry treasures for the temple, Ezra also carries with him something else. And Artaxerxes acknowledges this in verse 25 of chapter 7. He's telling him to set up a kind of justice system. And he says, I want you to do that according to the wisdom of God that is in your hand. The wisdom of God that you are carrying with you back to the city of Jerusalem. And what is that wisdom that is in Ezra's hand? Well, as a scribe, what was he skilled in? Verse 6. What had he devoted himself to study and to do and to teach? Verse 10. It's the law, the law of the Lord, the Torah, what we know of as the first five books of the Bible. That was what was in Ezra's hand. That is what he carried back to the city of Jerusalem. And the point of this different emphasis in this second journey is that though the task has, had been completed, there was still work to be done. There was still work to be done, and it involved an emphasis, not on the structure of the temple, but on the text of the Torah, on the words of God's law. And throughout the Old Testament, there has always been a connection between the temple and the Torah, between the place of God's presence and the words of his law. That link, that connection is embodied in Ezra. Ezra is a scribe, but that's not all he is, right? What else is Ezra? He's not only a teacher, he is also a priest. That's the point of those difficult names that I stumbled through at the beginning of chapter 7. Those names link Ezra to the most significant high priestly line of ancient Israel. And God had tasked his priest, not only with leading worship at the temple, but also teaching the law to God's people. Their job was not only to lead worship, but also to teach God's Torah, to teach the stories of how God has made his people his own, to teach God's design and his desires for his people and how they should live their lives. Now, why are those two things linked? 
Why is the place of God's presence connected with the words of his law? Why are those two things connected? Well, because the temple was supposed to be a place not only of of admiration, it was also supposed to be a place of transformation. Yes, it was designed and it was built to show the beauty of God's holiness, to display the beauty of who God is, but the temple was also designed to echo the Garden of Eden, to show the beauty of human life lived in accordance with God's design, a life lived in line with God's desires. And so the priest brought the people to the beauty of God's holiness in the temple, and then they taught them the law so that they could take that beauty and begin to fill their lives with it. That's the link between the temple and the Torah. The temple embodies an ideal. It embodies the ideal of God dwelling with his people, of his people in perfect connection, in perfect communion with him, of his people living according to his design. The temple showed what that looked like. And then the law taught the people how to take that ideal and begin to connect it to the reality of their daily lives, to their homes, to their jobs, and to their neighborhoods. And that's why you need a teacher. You need that connection. You need that link. The Hollywood writers are on strike, which means uh, if the AI cannot catch up fast enough, it means that certain shows and certain movies already have or will have to cease production. Why? Well, because you can have a studio, you can have a set, you can have actors, you can have a director, but if you don't have a script, you don't have a show. If you don't have a story, you don't have a movie. So here's what's happening in Ezra. There's a studio in place, there's a set in place, there are actors in place, and now Ezra comes bringing the script, bringing the story that enables the people to live out, not just to observe, not just to admire the beauty of God's holiness, but to live that out in their daily lives. And that's why you need a teacher. You need someone to bring you the script, to bring you the story. See, you were not meant for a plotless existence. You were not meant to just go from experience to experience, activity to activity, relationship to relationship with no through line, with no larger purpose, with no larger meaning. See, a teacher like Ezra brings a plot to your life, brings a meaning to your life. 
And that's why you need a teacher like him. Don't settle for a plotless existence. Realize that you were meant to play out the beauty of God's design in your relationships, in your family, in your job, in your fun, in your neighborhood. But you need a teacher to show you that design, to enable you to live out the beauty. And where do we find that? Where do we find the script? Second question, how do we find a teacher like that? Well, how did Jerusalem find Ezra? It's not that they went looking for him, right? And it wasn't just the result of Artaxerxes' political policy. It wasn't even only the result of Ezra's skill and diligence as a scribe. Six times, Ezra chapters 7 and 8 tell us how this happened. Because six times, these chapters say that the good hand of the Lord his God was on Ezra. The arrival of the needed teacher was an act of God. Ezra was able to bring the people the wisdom that was in his hand because he was in God's hand. And this language about the hand of God is not new in the book of Ezra. You see, there's another similarity between the journey in Ezra chapters 7 and 8 and the journey in Ezra chapter 1. And that similarity is that both of these journeys echo in multiple ways the journey of the Exodus. And so in Exodus chapter 15, the liberated people of God sing that it was the right hand of God that rescued them from slavery in Egypt and that would bring them to Mount Sinai where they would receive through Moses the script, where they would receive through Moses God's law, God's design for their lives. And so in order for Jerusalem to receive the script, in order for Ezra to come and bring the teaching of God's law to them, he had not only to study and to know God's law, he also had to live the story. He had to, as a new Moses, enact the plot of God redeeming his people and bringing his people to himself. And in doing that, Ezra points us to a better teacher. In doing that, as I have said before, Ezra sets the stage onto which Jesus steps. In doing that, Ezra participates in a pattern that comes to its completion in Jesus as the new and better Moses. 
And see, in Jesus, it's not just that God's hand leads a teacher to us. In Jesus, God himself becomes our teacher. Jesus is not only guided by the hand of God, he is the rescuing and guiding hand of God embodied in a person. And Jesus confronts the scribes of his day, those who claimed the legacy of Ezra. Jesus confronts them for how they had obscured and confused God's people in relationship to God's law. And then Jesus steps into the role of the teacher that the people needed. And he says in the Sermon on the Mount and in other places, he says, I have come not to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. I had come to bring the design of God to its fullness in the lives of those who are my students. Jesus is the teacher that we need, and how does he do that? How does he bring the design of God, the law of God, to its fullness? Well, he doesn't only teach us about the law. He doesn't only tell us about the script. No, he lives the story. He enacts the plot. The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the full and final Exodus journey. And on the cross, he confronts the enslaving enemies of sin, Satan, and death. And on the cross, he bears the guilt of how far short we have fallen of God's beautiful design for our lives. And through the cross and through his resurrection, Jesus overcomes those enslaving enemies. And he overcomes the ugliness of our guilt with his beauty. And then he ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit on all of those who are his students. On all of those who believe in him. And through his spirit, he doesn't just tell us about the script. He writes the script on our hearts. He doesn't just explain the law. He writes God's law, God's design, God's desire on our hearts. And that's why after his resurrection, in the Gospel of John, the first person that Jesus meets is a woman named Mary. And she is grieving and she is distressed. And she mistakes Jesus for the gardener. And she asks him, where have they taken? Why have they taken? Where have they taken the body of Jesus? And do you remember how Jesus responds? He says her name. He says Mary. And in that moment, her recognition is awakened. And she realizes who he is. And what does she say? Not Lord not king, not savior. No, she says, Rabboni, rabbi, teacher. That's how we find the teacher that we need. It is to come 
with all of our lives. It is to come with all of the ways that we have fallen short of the beauty of God's design in our lives. And it is to kneel with Mary before who Jesus is, before what he has done. And it is to say, not just Lord, not just King, not just Savior, those are all good and those are all true, but also to say with her, Rabbi, teacher. Les Murray was a great Australian poet of the late 20th and early 21st century. And when he died in 2019, uh, the Atlantic republished a piece celebrating Les Murray written by James Parker. And Parker talks about how Les Murray had this incredibly unique ability to creatively with his words capture and express all sorts of places and experiences. And when he comes to the end of his piece, Parker says this. He says, life at the day-to-day level is mostly discontinuities and thwarted omens. And it helps to know that the poets, the makers of higher sense are out there. It helps to know that they're operating so that when you crash into a city afternoon from a subway stairwell with a stranger shout in your ears and a flock of pigeons scrolling madly overhead, you can think to yourself, yep, Les Murray would know what to do with this. In Jesus, our teacher, we have a better poet than Les Murray. And we can come to him, and we can bring to him our seemingless, plotless existence. And we can say, yep, Jesus knows what to do with this. We can come with all of the ways that we have fallen short of the beauty that God has designed for our lives. And we can say, yep, Jesus You know what to do with this. You see, we can sing a different song about teachers because Jesus gave himself to educate us in the most beautiful way of life. He is not interested in mind control, but in the transformation of our hearts. He does not speak to us with dark sarcasm, but with gentle compassion. And so let's not say this morning, teacher, leave us alone. But instead, let's bow with Mary, bring all of our lives before him, and say, Rabbi, teacher, you know what to do with this. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that in your grace you have not left us with darkened minds, with confused understanding. You have not left us in the ignorance of our sin. But you have come to us with your light. You have come to us with your truth. You have come to us with your redeeming love in our teacher, your son.
Would you help us to know our need of him? Would you help us to realize the possibility of what you intend for our lives, the beauty of your design for us? Would you help us bow before him and say, teacher, and entrust our lives to what he wants to say, to what he wants to do. We pray it all in his name. Amen.